Steve Click retired from the Ohio State Highway Patrol, where he served in patrol, the motorcycle unit, and as a lieutenant at the Ohio Highway Patrol Training Academy. He retired as a lieutenant of the Ohio Assist Program. He's now the director of the Ohio Office of First Responder Wellness. You're listening to First Responders Bridge, the podcast. Hey, we're joined by Steve Click. Steve, we really appreciate you joining us tonight. Uh, for our listeners, um, would you mind taking just a, a minute or two and um, give them a little brief on your extensive uh, background, both in wellness and even more extensive in law enforcement? Absolutely, sir. Uh, I joined the Ohio State Highway Patrol in November of 1982. I'm actually second generation highway patrol. My father was a state trooper as well, and and so my cousin was also a trooper. I joined in 1982 as a cadet dispatcher at the Lima Post. I went to the academy in 1985, graduated, was assigned to the Delaware Post, which gave me plenty of opportunities to handle crashes and see some things. Uh, I also served as, uh, I was on the traffic drug interdiction team uh, for a little bit, and then I got promoted to sergeant and went to Springfield. Uh, came back to West Jefferson, was sergeant at Delaware for a short time. and uh, Then in the year 2000, I went down to the Ohio State House, where I served at the State House uh, for a couple of years. And then in 2006, uh, I went to the State Highway Patrol's motorcycle unit. I was a motorcycle officer for six and a half years until getting promoted to lieutenant and went to our training academy. I served at the training academy from August of 12 until um, March of 16, when I was assigned to the Office of Personnel Ohio Assist Program, which is when I first started doing the type of work I'm doing now, uh, working with different public public safety agencies and helping them with uh, mental wellness and connecting them with services. And I did that until November of, of 2018, and I retired from the patrol, went to work for Mental Health and Addiction Services as their first first responder liaison, and served in that capacity until the summer of 2021, when I had the opportunity to go back to the Department of Public Safety as they were standing up their wellness unit. And right now I serve as the director of the Ohio Office of First Responder Wellness. Wow, that is awesome. That is a uh, that is a lot of extensive experience there, Steve. It's, uh, Noah Yinger, good to talk to you. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your involvement in first responder wellness itself, and then a little bit more about your role as the director of the Ohio Office of First Responder Wellness? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, while serving as a trooper at the Delaware Post, I I had the opportunity to attend a class. I was held up in Marion for um, critical incident stress management. And I'd heard of it, but hadn't really, you know, thought or thought too much about it or heard a whole lot about it. And I had the opportunity to go to a class. And um, after we completed that training, I was part of the North Central Ohio Critical Incident Stress Management Team, which was up of some uh, law enforcement officers from Delaware County, as well as fire and EMS personnel. Uh, it was in that capacity that I had the opportunity to go to New York City after the World Trade attacks and work with the Ohio, um, the New York City Police Department's peer support team. Uh, it's called PAPA, Police Officers Providing Peer Assistance. I actually did a week in November of 2001, and then we went back for another week in April of 2002 where we were just talking to New York City police officers uh, through the course of the day. In the evenings, we would go down to the site itself 
and just talked to officers that were on security positions. We stopped in a couple of the fire stations and talked to the firefighters as well. Um, and that really got me started on, on looking at officer wellness and, and those type of things. In 2002, the Ohio State Highway Patrol decided to create a members assistance team, uh, which was a peer support team that they had started. I had the, the opportunity to be part of that. Uh, including the initial training. And then I was one of the, uh, I was the assistant team commander until my promotion in um, 2012. And in 2012 uh, to 2018, I served as the commander of the team uh, until I retired from the division. And um, so that really got me started doing the wellness uh, type of work I do. To be honest, I, I was really primarily focused on the highway patrol and, and especially law enforcement until I had the opportunity to go to mental health and addiction services. And that's when I really got the opportunity to, to get to know and, and to work with the fire service and find out uh, kind of some of the amazing things that they've been doing and, and that have been doing for years and also EMS and, and dispatch and, and the other first responder agencies. Clicker, I can't believe it was uh, five, six years ago that you retired. That is that's amazing. <laughs> uh, I, I, I agree. My wife and I were talking just the other day that it had been been uh, five full years since I retired, and it really just doesn't seem like it's been five years. But um, I guess a lot of that is because I truly, truly enjoy what I do. I, I get teased all the time when people say, you know, you're retired, right? And I'm like, yeah, well, it's okay. I don't work, right? Uh, because to me, that 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 isn't what this is. Um, it's I really, truly enjoy it. Through this, I have met some of the most amazing fantastic people who are, are doing such really great work, uh, including, including Mick and, and uh, Mike Pavolino and, and the folks from the different peer support programs, uh, Mike Matiskia up in Akron, just have really been given an opportunity to meet a lot of really great people doing some good work. Yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing when you say it was five years ago. I remember uh, when I met you at OSP's Academy, talking mm-hmm. about peer assistance and talking about uh, you as the commander of, of your peer assistance team yes, and sir. Uh, merging uh, what we each do and learning from one another. Um, you've done a lot of good for first responders and uh, police officers and troopers, and um, you've kind of evolved into your role in the uh, director for Ohio's Office of First Responder Wellness. And what does that What does that look like for our listeners? What because I'm sure many states do not have anything like that. You know, it's. It, I was recently asked about that. If if our position, if this position is unique uh, across the country, and and I believe I am one of the few that uh, gets this opportunity to be at, at this. You know, working at the state level, but again, still continuing to work with agencies across the state of Ohio. So I work with police, fire, EMS, corrections, dispatch. Ohio-based military. Basically, you know, if anybody wants us to come and, and provide them some services and, and to talk to them, we do. Uh, recently, I did a class for the Ohio Forensic Nurses Association. These are the nurses that are doing uh, the intake and the follow-up work with sexual assault victims as they come into the ER. I've also worked with um, public information officers. I had the opportunity to go to Utah and speak to their public information officers association for the entire state. Uh, to just talk about self-care and, and because they're going to the scenes of these things. So I've had an opportunity to work with a lot of different groups um, and just kind of try to help connect them 
to those resources and to try to help, you know, defeat that stigma of where people are always worried if I ask for help, somebody will perceive me as weak or, you know, not capable of doing my job. And and it, that's not the case. It, it really isn't. And I think that with the cooperation of leadership in public safety across the state, uh, we're really kind of, you know, making great strides in, in knocking that stigma down. Steve, you know, there's a, uh, especially at our retreats, we notice there's a big misconception that trauma originates just from one singular event, right? Whether it's, um, you know, a shooting, a car accident, whatever. Um, can you talk about complex trauma a little bit and where we kind of get that misconception from? Oh, absolutely. You know, when we first created the members assistance team for the highway patrol, you know, one of the things that they fully, you know, they expected that we would only be called for just exactly what you said, shootings, mass casualty, you know, mass big crashes and stuff like that. And what we know from talking to first responders across the country is, is they actually do really good with the big thing uh, because there's a lot of resources that immediately flood in after the big thing happens. It's those little things. It's the it's the fatal traffic crashes. It is the crimes that they are, are you know called to investigate and have to report on. It is the rescues that the fire and EMS service go on. It's the constant calls to our dispatchers. It, it could be everything from my neighbor won't pull in his trash cans to oh my god my baby's not breathing. So we see that, and it was a lot of stuff that we dismissed for years as just, well, I mean, that's just the job. That's what we do. But what we were taking into account is what toll that took on us over the course of time. All those little incidents that didn't seem huge at the time, but when you add them up over 5, 10, 25, 30 years of a law enforcement fire EMS career dispatch, they really do take a toll. Um, there's a think tank that, that did a report, and one of the things they said is the average citizen is involved in one to two, what they consider to be a critical or traumatic incident in their life. The average first responder, 180. I mean, that's just it's just what we do every day. Nobody calls public safety to just say, hey, life is great here. We're all getting along. We just thought we'd let you know. So they're constantly being exposed to these traumatic situations that these folks are, are you know, being involved with. That's a, that's a sobering figure. Uh, when you when you cite that, that's amazing. Yeah, you touched upon um, barriers and stigma, and um, as somebody who has the extensive, first of all, law enforcement experience, and both when you came on, I came on, Mick came on into law mm -hmm. enforcement, we, you know, you didn't ask for help, you didn't talk about your feelings, you, you know, oh, you no. just sucked it up and you dealt with it, but. For our younger first responders that may be listening to this, what advice would you give them if they are hesitant to seek support or they're concerned about that stigma that we always talk about? You know, I, I guess what I would tell them is this, and, and, and you're right. You know, when I first came on, I remember one particular shift. We had two fatals um, in one shift. We started off the shift with one, and then we had one a little bit later in the afternoon. And I remember going home that afternoon and the supervisor or the sergeant saying, Hey guys, you know, go home, have a drink. Now, what that sergeant didn't realize is maybe we had an issue with that. Maybe, maybe we were predisposed to that. Well, that wasn't bad advice on his part. That's what somebody had told him in the beginning of his career. But over time, we've learned that that wasn't the answer. We don't just rub dirt on it. 
um, that these things do take a toll on us and if we don't talk. So I would encourage, you know, younger first responders who are first coming into this profession to find those, that person or persons that you can talk to. Um, you've you've got to share those experiences with somebody you know, you trust, and will protect your confidentiality. And maybe that's your spouse. Maybe that's a coworker. Uh, maybe it's somebody completely out of public safety. But it's that person that you can go to, you know, a chaplain, a minister, anybody that you can go to and, and talk about these things. One of the things I, I talk about in my classes is I can't guarantee somebody can help you. I can't guarantee a chaplain, a clinician, um, a doctor. I can't guarantee they can help you. But what I can with almost 100% certainty guarantee you is this. If you don't talk about it, it will not get better and it will almost always get worse. So you need to share those things with people that care about you and will protect your confidentiality and, and talk about those things. And the, the whole idea of, you know, we've got to be the big, brave firefighter. We've got to be the big, brave cop or whatever, because if we talk about these things, it, it's, it's a bad thing. It's not. It's not a bad thing at all. We've got to share these experiences because over time, if we don't share them, they'll take us out. You know, Steve, uh, um, whether, you know, somebody's talking about what they're going through with their mental health or not, there's going to be, always just signs that they are going through it. Um, so what are, can you discuss some of these signs that they might be going through and what they should be aware of, you know, in themselves or in their colleagues or other people around them? Absolutely. Listen to your family. <laughs> you know, one of the things that, that we have a tendency to do is, is we have a tendency not to pay attention to our family. And when our families tell us you've changed, when our families tell us that, you know, you're different or something like that, we need to listen to them. You know, when they, when they tell us those things and they're probably a better, better observer of how we're acting and how we're dealing with things than we are ourselves. Uh, we tend to lie to ourselves a whole lot faster. We make excuses. We tell ourselves, you know, it, it, it's not that bad or it hasn't affected me when they're looking at you like, are you kidding me? Uh, one of the things we do at, with our post-critical incident seminars is we have the um, we ask them to bring a support person with them, a husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, somebody like that. And we sit there and they talk about their incident and they say, but I'm doing OK. I'm fine. It doesn't bother me. And you look at that support person sitting next to him like, who are you talking about? And, the, you know, then we get the straight story when the support person talks. So, you know, I would just say, listen to those people around you. Be open to those things and to look out for each other. Look out for your coworkers. Uh, you know, don't be afraid to sit somebody down and say, hey, look, I'm worried about you. I've noticed some changes and, and I, I just, you know, want to make sure you're doing OK. And if there's anything I can do to help you. Good advice. Good advice. And you've mentioned it a couple of times now, Ohio Assist and the seminars. And uh, for our listeners that may not know what Ohio Assist is or, hey, how do I find out about this? Can you share a little bit about uh, how it started, what it is, and how you can find out more about it if you're a listener? Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a couple of really great programs, and and um, I obviously the one that, that I'm most familiar with was the Ohio Assist Post Critical Incident Seminars. Uh, we started those here in Ohio. Uh, the first one was March of 2017. Uh, we first started looking at these programs in 2016, and we found that this program had originated in South Carolina in the year 2000. Um, they were running seminars for uh, police, fire, EMS, and so forth. Um, and basically, it's a three to three and a half day seminar where we allow folks the opportunity to tell their story. 
And we tell them we're not interested in how many rounds were fired, what fire equipment was on scene. Um, you know, we don't, that's, that's already been examined probably, you know, ad nauseum by their own department and everything. How is that event or events? How is that affecting you and your family today? That's what's important. We give them an opportunity to, to talk in a safe environment uh, where there's no judgment. And, and you know, we tell people, you're welcome to tell your own story, but you know, we don't share other people's stories. We give them a chance to speak to a clinician who has experience in working with first responders. So you're not going to overwhelm the clinician. You're not going to tell them anything that they haven't heard before. Or, you know, you're not going to shock them or anything. We give them a chance for chair massage. We give them a chance to, um, you know, we do yoga in the evenings. We have an addiction discussion. Uh, we break them into small groups so they have the opportunity uh, to uh, talk to other folks and have a conversation uh, that's led by uh, peers that have training and everything. And then we bring them all back together on the third day and we, we talk about mindfulness and we talk about resilience. And then we kind of challenge them as they're getting ready to leave that day. You know, what are you going to do now to take care of yourself? and your family. Uh, it's, it's just an amazing program. They've, we've ran 20, uh, 22 first uh, public uh, first responder um, pub critical incident stress management, um, post-critical incident seminars. We've ran 22 to date. Uh, a little over 500 people have attended uh, those seminars. And, it, you know, we overwhelmingly, the response has been positive. Uh, that program continues to be run by Lieutenant Molly Harris from the Ohio State Highway Patrol's a wellness unit. She's the commander of the wellness unit for the highway patrol. And I'm fortunate in that I still get to participate uh, with those seminars and, and help with those things. Um, just, you know, seeing the change in folks from the first day to the last day uh, is absolutely amazing. And, you know, we've had folks come back and say, look, I was done. I, I was finished. I, I, I was going to quit. I was going to do whatever. And now I think I can finish out my career, you know, and that's just one of the programs that's available uh, here in Ohio. Obviously, the folks that listen to uh, this amazing podcast have, have heard about the First Responders Bridge, which is another great program. And I think one of the things that I've seen in these programs, and I saw it when South Carolina helped us set up our program, and I saw it when the First Responders Bridge came around, is the programs, there's no competition at all. These, these programs, they support one another, they encourage each other, uh, they encourage people to go to, you know, folks that come to assist were like, look, if this was good for you, get, take an opportunity to go to the First Responders Bridge. You're going to hear some fantastic speakers, you're going to get a great opportunity for education. I know that they've encouraged people to come to assist. Um, just These are just two really good programs that not only do we, we share information and, and support one another, we even share the same facility. And it's kind of funny because there's been times that we're walking in on a Sunday as they're wrapping up their, their three-day seminar. And it's just a great opportunity to support Ohio's first responder community. And yeah, we've, uh, we've nothing but amazing things to say about Ohio Assist. Just a great program. Again, Steve, you're awesome. Molly's awesome. It, it's just so fantastic. And we love what you guys are doing down there. Um, Steve, as we finish up here, we're starting to wind down. If you're a first responder leader, you know, whether you're a fire captain or a police chief, um, what advice would you give them when it comes to, you know, first responder wellness and stuff like that? Your people come first. Your people absolutely come first. You know, uh, Pierce and Sutphin Fire, they're building trucks all the time. 
um, Dodge is building building cruisers. Um, the the equipment side of it, you know, and stuff like that. That will all that will all be here. The people that you have, that is your most valuable resource. Um, we've seen staffing issues in public safety across the state of Ohio, especially the last couple of years. Serious, serious, and 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 concerning staffing issues. You have to take care of the people that you have there now. Um, I don't, you know, any place I've gone, whether it's been a correctional facility or police station or fire station, there's not a line out front of people begging and dying to come in and come do that work. So if you're not taking care of the folks that are doing that job now, um, pretty soon we're not going to have them. And then where are we going to be for our communities? So that is your most valuable resource, not the trucks, not the cars, not, you know, the radios, not any of the other stuff. It's the people. And your first responsibility as a leader of those public safety agencies is to take care of your people. The other stuff will handle itself and it'll all, it'll all work out. If you're taking care of your people, they will absolutely, because they've got a heart for this. They want to be there. They're not doing it to get rich. They do it because they have a heart for it. And if leadership shows that they care, truly care, not make it up, truly care, your people will do amazing dynamic work for you. And that's the most valuable, valuable piece you have and the hardest one to replace if you lose it. Steve, before uh, Noah rolls into our praise of the day, I just wanted to uh, take a minute to say what an honor it's been to work with you. We we serve on some of the same boards with the Attorney General's office. Yes, sir. Great work that you're doing uh, in the first responder community. We appreciate it, uh, and we thank we you, sir. You keep it up. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, this is this is not work for me. And getting to work with folks like you and and Nick and Molly and and Nikki Riley at Omos is just you know it, it really is an enjoyable enjoyable job for me. All right, guys. Before we finish up, I want to do our praise of the day again. We always love doing these um, and the episodes really well. Um, this praise of the day is out of Orange County, California, where a juvenile corrections officer, officer Yuri Williams, followed in his mother's footsteps in a career in corrections. Yuri created a nonprofit called A Future Superhero and Friends. Williams dresses up as iconic figures from the Marvel and Star Wars universes to deliver gifts to families in need. And each, each winter, he visits a family from every state in the U.S. to help brighten their holidays. He also serves homeless veterans in Orange County and Los Angeles. Just great outreach there, great opportunities. What a great ministry. So uh, that is super, super cool there from Officer Williams. So uh, uh, Steve, we are so grateful to you for coming to speak with us today and just a great conversation, man. Thank you very much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. And, and again, uh, you know, to Commander Bacher, I'm sorry, Deputy Chief Bacher and everybody, it's just, it's really been a, 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 an education and I really enjoy the folks I get to work with. Thanks, Clicker. We appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. We will see you guys next time on First Responders Bridge, the podcast. <laughs>